Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. It's Christmas again, and we've already done a Christmas show. In fact, we've done a couple, so we're not going to do a show about Christmas this week. It's about Hanukkah. Yes, let's do a Hanukkah no. show. I'll link in the show notes to our previous shows about Christmas. But we're going to talk about something that's kind of tangentially related to Christmas. Which is? Which is, I forgot what we're talking about. Oh, yes. Let me check here one second. Oh, this week's subject is a good one for this time of year. Peace, charity, and caring in the face of Buddhist equanimity and so-called non-attachment. Where do they all fit in? That's a good topic for Christmas because that's talking about the kind of things that are Christmassy, right? Caring about people and giving gifts and all. But Buddhists are supposed to not be attached, so we don't want gifts, do we? Right. You know, uh, a small bit of trivia. The Buddha was not much for Christmas, and we're not sure why. <laughs> but there's no <laughs> no mention in the old suttas of uh, Santa Claus. None of none of that appears there. Though there is a possibility that Santa Claus was influenced by canon, but that's that's uh, for Buddhist historians to debate. Did the Buddha celebrate Hanukkah? Uh, the Jewish Buddha did. Right. Yes, yeah, Stanley Budinsky, the Jewish Buddha. Yes, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, it, it, you know, this, on the Silk Road, many cultures and influences traveled up and down, but there's there's no real uh, evidence that there was any direct contact between Buddhism and uh, Christianity and Judaism. Maybe a little bit actually in China when some of the immigrants came from different places in the world. That was the first contact you had, but not in the early days of Buddhism. But yet, yet it's a universal value in all these religions to be peaceful and charitable, especially this time of year. Yes, peaceful and charitable, and yet detached. Right. This non-attachment of Buddhists. Kind of people tend to think that this makes Buddhists a bit too woolly, right? Not caring about anything, but that's not what it means. Well, you know, there's uh, this is a lot of confusion between the difference between being non-attached and being detached, and the difference between being peaceful in heart and equanimous. Equanimous? That's not a word. Uh, it is now, I, I, I think. Uh, okay. We'll check that later. Okay. But, yes, being peaceful and equanimous and being uncaring and cold. Now, it is true, the Buddha was not a big gift giver, except for the teachings of Buddhism. Well, that was a pretty big gift. Those are pretty big gifts, yes. And uh, they have nothing to do with being uncaring about our fellow human beings or being cold and unemotional. Now, I have to put an asterisk. Ask me what that asterisk is. What's the asterisk? 
some kinds of Buddhism were actually about cooling the emotions and not feeling extremes of the wishing to be with your family and friends, to remove yourself from the world. This is true. But as Buddhism developed in the Mahayana and came to China and Japan and places, the Japanese and the Chinese found themselves more earthy and part of life and said that we could have, uh, how to say, have our cake and eat it too, but not in excess. So the trick here is you can care, but not cling. Right. It's the clinging that's the problem. It's it's we want to have some gifts under the Bodhi tree for Christmas, but we don't want to expect that we have to have gifts, right? Gift giving is wonderful when it shows we care for other people, but when we try to give gifts to put a price tag on it, there may be a problem. And I think this whole time of year actually teaches us that very materialism and attachment that uh, many Buddhists have spent the rest of their life trying to to run away from. Because when I was a little kid, what happened? You know, the night before, Santa Claus is coming, and is and I, I want to get what I get, and then I'll be happy because it'll be under the tree. And then the next morning, it's either there, and you're happy for about 15 minutes until it breaks or you, you, you move on to the next thing, or you're disappointed because it's not there, and then we spend the rest of our lives chasing after the same consumer cycle. We need to get back to the true meaning of Buddhist Christmas, <laughs> which is just to appreciate what we have and the love that a family has for each other. That's the real gift of Christmas. So to appreciate the tree rather than the gifts under the tree. Exactly. To appreciate the tree. If, if you really want to appreciate the tree, first off, if you ask me, don't cut it down. Just leave the tree there. Yeah. Poor tree. And uh, I'm not much for plastic trees either. Though we have one in the house. I think I've told this story before. I had to compromise like many people. Uh, so we have the Bodhi tree. And what we did, we have a plastic Christmas tree, which we put tinsel on. And we put a star on the top, which is, of course, the morning star that the Buddha saw. And there's a little Buddha statue at the bottom. And my kids, you know, they all get empty boxes. So uh, at this time of year, which... Uh, <laughs> That's they, cruel. Well, they'll discuss it with their psychiatrist when they get old. So yes. <laughs> they, they can work it out. We bought a tree, I think, five years ago, and we planted it in our garden rather than have a tree indoors. We bought a pine tree, a small... Christmassy pine tree, but we planted it outside. And sometimes we decorate it, sometimes we don't. But the idea of having a tree in the house and watching it dry up and then all the needles fall, I mean, in a way, that's an, an example of impermanence, right? But the typical Christmas tree when I was growing up is you would get it a week before Christmas and you'd put it in that little stand and it wouldn't stand perfectly. So you'd have to tie it up with strings to keep it from falling. And you'd forget to put water in, and then it would turn brown, and the the needles would all fall off, and then it would be all brittle, and then you'd have to cut it up to take it out. Yes, which is, uh, let's say, uh, keep the trees in the ground, especially in this day and age when we need our trees. How much more would this holiday mean if uh, all the, the Amazon and, and all the department stores really delivered nothing? except our love for each other this time of year. This is something I think all religions agree upon. You don't need, a, what is it, Black Friday? When did they go rushing into the stores, killing each other? 
to get the, the, the presence to show love. People elbowing each other and punching each other to get the, you know, the discount. This is not the spirit of the holiday. But I, I, I'm starting to sound like the, the Scrooge on this. And I don't want to. I don't. You are. I don't want to get. I'm trying to say we need to bring back the good Buddhist spirit of Christmas this time of year. And that's why Ebenezer Scrooge is a great symbol of Buddhism. Did you know that? Because he was greedy. Yeah. He was angry. He regretted the past. He worried about the future. And then one morning he woke up and he was just alive. And he brought a goose to Tiny Tim <laughs> just to, to help the, you know, the Tiny Tim's family. What is more Buddhist than that? And this is the lesson we need to learn too. Buddhist. Scrooge was a great Buddhist. Okay, I want to be a devil's advocate just for a few minutes because um, I worked in a bookstore for three years a few decades ago, and I believe the bookstore did like 30% of its annual sales in the month before Christmas. So the bookstore would not have been able to stay in business without Christmas. It's not the fault of our consumerist society or Christmas, but the way the economy is built retailers can't live without Christmas. They don't make enough money in the rest of the year to survive. Well, we have to someday, I hope, develop an economy where we're still producing and, 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 and giving things that are uh, meaningful, you know. Uh, it's, of course, it's all consumer choices, but a lot of these consumer choices were fed to believe that I need my 27th uh, pair of tennis shoes. And... Uh, if I don't get them for Christmas, how disappointed am I going to be? Uh, we, you know, the economy is built on this cycle. It's like the drug addicts that we are. You're the drug addict, he demands the drugs, and the drug supplier supplies the drugs. It's called capitalism. Yeah. But thinking of well, bookstores being important and other types of retail uh, shops being important reminds me also, I think this is Japanese word. Is it sundoku for books that you buy that you never read? No, that's the, the little game you play with the numbers in it. Well, there's a Japanese term for books you buy that you never read, and I'm looking at the bookshelves behind you. I don't know this Japanese term, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess it's from stu is from to throw away, and doku means read. Stu doku. I'm going to guess that's what you're referring to, though. I have to confess I've never heard the, the term. Okay, I'll look it up. But I'm seeing all the books behind you piled up in your shelves, and you can see the ones behind me. And it's true that we can be book addicts, can't we? You know, but okay, I'm going to say my bias. I think we need to to support books and learning and small bookshops. You know, more. You know, that's my personal choice. And the guy who likes his tennis shoes is going to disagree with me. But we shouldn't be clinging to any of it. Knowledge is to be cherished. And this is where we're going to get back to the difference between non-attachment and detachment. Buddhists, especially Zen Buddhists, learn to cherish, treasure, but not cling and let go when the time comes. This is a very different thing. The morning star is seen and then it goes with the morning. You don't try to keep it there. You don't try to make it your own. The Buddha saw the star in the sky. It was there, I'm sure, then the sun rose and the star was gone. And he didn't try to grab it out of the sky. He didn't say, I own this star. He cherished it. He appreciated it. He saw it. Can't we do that not only with things, but with each other? There are people in my life, my family, 
people I love, my elderly relatives. They're not going to be with me forever. I can cherish them while they're here. When they go, I shed a tear, of course, but I also am willing to let them go. We need to learn not to cling, not to strangle, not to demand that everything is our way and belongs to us, but we can cherish things and honor them while they're here. Another lovely message of Buddhist Christmas. Yes, the idea of non-attachment isn't rejection. It's appreciating something for what it is, but not demanding that it be what it is forever, right? Yes, it's seen in many of the uh, wonderful uh, Japanese arts, uh, such as the flowers, where the flower is appreciated for a moment, and then it's gone. The cherry blossoms on the tree are there for a few days, and then they flutter, and they are gone. Our human life is so, and there is a sadness in it. There is a sadness because, of course, we miss some beautiful things, but there's also an acceptance and an allowing as life changes. And that's also a message of New Year's, too. People say, oh, I want to forget this year, and I want to get on to the new year. And the Buddhists are saying, uh, you know, this year and next year are going to have their ups and downs, but appreciate this year is this year. Let it be what it is. Don't expect it to be a, a perfect time. Don't expect it to be only uh, a, a terrible time of disappointment. It's up to your own heart. If you, the richest man, this is another lesson of Bodhisattva Scrooge. <laughs> the richest man is the man who, as you know, appreciates and is content with what? What he has. Exactly. You mentioned the New Year. This is actually both a Christmas and New Year episode of the podcast since we come out every two weeks. That's it. The, the New Year is interesting for us because it's arbitrary, right? The day was chosen arbitrarily. If it was corresponded with the winter solstice, that might make more sense, the shortest day of the year. But we tend to see it as new, as if things are changing overnight, that that day on the 1st of January, everything's changed, yet nothing has changed. Well, even in the Buddhist temple, it's a special time. There is a sense that there's something fresh. Now the, the spring is, is going to return. In, in the old days, in the, the lunar calendar, it really was the doorway to spring. Things were going to start warming up right away. The first blossoms, the plum blossoms, were seen on trees at that time. So there's a lot of Zen poetry about the plum blossom this time of year, which is the first sign of life returning. And I say the temples, they, they are cleaned out and the bells are rung on New Year's Eve for the 108 bonos. Here's a list. We got another list. Ah, we haven't had a list in a while. Go ahead. The, the 108 defilements or obstructions of the human being such as greed and jealousy, and uh, there's a whole uh, list of lists of all the, the possible uh, types of uh, bad qualities we can have. And this time of year, we wipe the slate clean, and we ring the bell, and we're going to start again. In, in my, uh, you know, modern way, I'm going to clean out my computer desktop, and I'm going to, you know, straighten up my bookshelf too. And uh, we're going to have a fresh time. There's nothing wrong with having a fresh view this time of year. But the Zen fellow might add one point. Every moment is a new moment. You don't have to wait till January 1st. 
You know, it's interesting, the idea of the new year, and you talked about the plum blossoms, but that means the new year wasn't in January in Japan. And for a long time in Europe, the new year was on March 25th. Did you know that? Well, that makes sense, too, because you were also uh, moon people. Well, it's not the moon. It's the spring coming in. That would be that would make sense for the new year. When there was a change in the calendar, uh, the new year was moved to January 1st. And this is the origin of April Fool's, that people used to give gifts on the new year, March 25th. But since the new year had moved, they gave joke gifts on April 1st, think as if it was the previous new year. I think people are, are going to have to tune into your other podcast, Calendar Talk, <laughs> because I mean, we're, it's the wrong. Let, let's get back to the, let's get no, back to the. No, but the point is the new year is whenever you want it. It is. It starts whenever you want it. It doesn't have to be a specific date. And your birthday, too, is one moment followed by the next moment by the next. But this is a special time of year, and it's a time of peace. Let's talk about peace. Let's talk about peace, because we're always asking for peace. We're always wishing for peace. And and Christmas is always a time when at least Christians talk about peace, and yet we don't really have peace, do we? No. Buddhists can guarantee you peace. But it depends. Oh, come on. Depends what you mean by peace. Uh, I told you, you know, you, you, you've been with this with me so many episodes now, you know this. Everything has a double meaning. Nothing straight. Right. There's inner peace and outer peace. There are many kinds of peace. Can we bring peace in the world? Can we end that war that's going on? I hope so. If you wanted to know a present that I really want, that would be it. I would love to see that war end. I don't know if that's going to happen or not this year. But the one thing I can say is I can bring some peace to my heart and I can work for peace in the world. So that's pretty good. And in my own house, will there be peace? You know, it's the time of year you get together with Uncle John and Aunt Barbara. They, you know, kind of they're fine for the first couple of cocktails. But then by the, the fifth <laughs> glass of eggnog, you know how it gets. Yeah. Folks, when you go home this time of year. Practice Buddhist equanimity and peace. In other words, when things happen around you that start to get your goat, let them go. Release them. Allow them to be. Yes, you cannot fix Uncle John. Yes, you cannot always change the world. You do your best, but you have so much control over what's inside. Let it go. Here's a, a little song that I'm not going to sing because it <laughs> upsets your equanimity. But I believe there is a song from this time of year that says something about, let it go, let it go. Oh, that's the song in Die Hard. No, I the think it's a Christmas movie. No, the, the Disney, the Disney. Uh, oh, okay. I was thinking of Let It Snow. Let It Snow. No, that's <laughs> that. Let it just let it be. Let it snow. Yes. So what does a good practicing Zen Buddhist do on Christmas if they're in Japan? Japan celebrates Christmas, right? Japan celebrates Christmas in a very strange way. I, um, I think if I remember our last Christmas episode, we, we briefly touched on this, but it's a romantic holiday. We talked about Colonel Sanders, right? Right. You go get your fried bucket of fried chicken. Yep. Uh, uh, from uh, number one seller of fried chicken is Colonel Sanders. Number two is Seven Eleven. Don't ask me why. Okay. Yeah, you get to, you get your chicken from Seven Eleven or uh, 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 Colonel Sanders with your date, and you uh, check into a hotel, 
and uh, I'll leave the rest to everyone's imagination, yes. Uh, but uh, it's also a time uh, when people go to temples and shrines to mark a new beginning. You know, you go to the temple or shrine to say to Buddha or the Buddha that people see living in the temple or, or the god who's in the Shinto shrine, and you say, please treat me well this year. Please treat me well. Is Christmas a public holiday then in Japan? Uh, the end of the year is. I wouldn't say it's Christmas. No, it's just the right. uh, what they call Oshogats, the New Year's holiday. Yes. Right. right. Okay. Which I mean, everyone crowds on to the bullet train to get to their hometown, standing room only, which takes a very real kind of equanimity. And when you do that, you realize that much of Zen equanimity is part of Japanese culture, much more than formal Zen. It's a question about whether the piece of Zen came from Japanese culture or influenced Japanese culture. It's, it's a little hard to tell, but people in Japan who are not Zen at all, formally, not in a, any religious sense, will get on trains and put up with things that I, I, I would say it's an amazing place to live at this time of year. People are tolerant. You don't see fistfights. You don't see arguments. People just all kind of get, they're all going home and they all put up with it and they get home together. So does a Zen Buddhist make New Year's resolutions? You can. What's wrong with it? We're big into vows, you know. And uh, I think so. I, I think actually, uh, yes. Uh, let's, uh, let's say, be a little nicer next year. Be a little more generous. Let's uh, get that... Uh, that gardening done that we said we were going to do. Let's support our small bookstores. Let's write that book we were going to write. Uh, all these things. What's wrong with it? Nothing wrong with it. Don't cling. Don't be attached. Again, don't, uh, you know, hit yourself on the head if, if you say, oh, I didn't write that book I meant to write this year. What? I'm just a loser. Don't do that to yourself. Better just do it. Do it and also be patient with yourself. You know, it's the middle way. One of the problems with uh, at least Americans and New Year's resolutions is that they plan to do something. They take out that subscription to the gym or they plan to lose weight. And then by the end of the month, it's over and they feel bad. And then they just ignore it, saying, I'll get around to it next year. It's this artificiality of the 1st of January and the resolution and not being able to carry through that's a problem. Well, I'm not giving people an excuse not to keep their promises. You know, you do it without clinging. Uh, I did make a, a promise to myself two years ago to go to the gym and to stick my, to my diet. And, you know, I've been pretty good about it. I, I actually keep a record. I, I've missed very few days, but I don't cling to it. I just go and do it. This is the middle way of Buddhism. You relax the heart and you don't tense yourself or punish yourself but neither do you go and be too negligent and careless about it. Go to the gym. Do these things. But keep peace in your heart and ease. It's the middle way. Isn't keeping a record of the days you go to the gym a bit clinging? You would say it's not Zen because it's all in the moment. But I, I need to remember exactly how much weight I, I, I'm lifting because, <laughs> you know. Because you can't remember. You're getting into those twilight years. Well, believe me, I'm the weakest guy in the gym. I'm also the oldest, yeah. I think, by far. They're all like yeah. 20 years old, and I'm in there, and I always got to set the machine from like 60 kilos to like 20. But yeah, I don't, but don't, uh, no pride again. I, I go to the gym, and I have no pride. 
because if I had pride, <laughs> I wouldn't be in that gym. Believe me. That's actually one of the problems with gyms is people decide to go to the gym and they're put off by the attitude of all these muscle-bound people in the gym. No, be yourself. Be yourself. Be sincere to yourself. Be good. The point is to be good and generous and to live in a healthy way. It's, it, it, if you're going to make a vow to be meaner or a vow, a vow to make just much more money, that's not a particularly Buddhist way. That's not what I'm saying to do. But if you're going to make a vow to be more generous, live uh, in a more caring way, to eat better, to lose some weight for health reasons, not for beauty and clinging, especially when you get to my age, beauty is long gone, long gone. I look in the mirror every day and I see impermanence. It's fine. <laughs> you accept it, right? But I go to the gym for health. Do that. This is the time of year to make a vow for good things. Okay, Roshi. Well, I wish you happy holidays. Happy holidays. And where do we go from here? Well, if you're going to parties and things, which people are going to be doing this time of year, remember, all things in moderation. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.